On today's Let's Go Full Steam Ahead podcast, I sat down with Leah Juliet, a Miss Connecticut title holder, a founder of the March Against Revenge Porn, a nonprofit that focuses on passing legislation and supporting victims of revenge porn. And we had a really wonderful discussion about empathy, what it looks like in our jobs as advocates, what it looks like in our jobs as Miss America title holders, and how we take care of ourselves as empathetic people. So there is a lot of content in this coffee and conversation that I am very excited to share with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Coffee and Conversation. Hello, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I've got, I, I realized I called it Coffee and Conversation. I actually have tea, uh, but we're wrapping it all the same. That's okay. I'm drinking coffee myself, so I, I will cover those bases. What kind of tea are you drinking? Uh, it's like a raspberry green tea kind of thing. It's, it's like naturally sweet, so I really like it. I don't have to add anything to it. So I was just, I was just thinking uh, as I was setting this up, I've never actually hosted an Instagram Live like conversation before. So, hey, good morning, Jetta. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to ask for your, your grace with any technical difficulties uh, I may have in advance. <laughs> of course, of course. I have nothing but grace to give. <laughs> I, I love that. So how's, how's your morning been? How's your night since last night? Just how's life? Good. I've done a lot of reflecting about how what we learned about applied empathy can be applied to my own work and my own organization. And I'm going to try my best to incorporate some of the practices of self-awareness that we learned and apply them to myself, but also um, hopefully introduce them to the work that I do. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I love that so much. You, um, I'm kind of, I made a little script, but I'm already going off of it. You last night asked a really good question. Um, so to summarize, for those of you who maybe weren't a part of the professional development seminar webinar thing that we attended last night with Miss America, um, we got the opportunity to hear from the author and founder of Subrosa, the author of Applied Empathy, um, a book about the concept of applied empathy. And it, for me, it was really um, eye-opening to hear from the author. So I've, I've got the book. I'm not very far into it yet, but it's so nice to be able to one, read the words and then hear it from the author um, to instill really what, uh, I feel like when authors speak, they share the most important parts, the parts that they value the most. I mean, obviously they value every word in the book. It's like a, a thought baby, right? But um, I think it's really uh, exciting to hear what they value and what they want to impart in the short amount of time they have to speak. So um, that's what we did last night. We got to hear from Michael Ventura and, I really enjoyed it, um, and I've done a lot of reflecting, too, so I would like to just jump in. You got to ask a question to Michael. Um, could you kind of recap the question and kind of explain what he talked about? Sure, and I will start by saying that I personally haven't been able to read the book yet. However, I've listened to the podcast, uh, the Applied Empathy podcast, which is something I also really recommend. It's a short series of episodes where he interviews different folks in the industry. Um, but anyway, last night, I... I was really um, caught by when Michael talked about uh, empathy fatigue and a light bulb went off in my head and I thought this is probably something that I'm experiencing as someone who runs a nonprofit that uh, aids victims of sexual violence as a victim of sexual violence myself, oftentimes empathy um, can 
you know, can feel like it's swallowing you whole because you are addressing issues that you yourself have directly experienced. So in that instance, I wanted to ask Michael, how do we push through and combat empathy fatigue? And he gave me some really great answers. So the, I'll share what his answers were, if you don't mind. Hold on, let me. Yes, absolutely. Please. Um, he first asked me, what are you doing in the lead up? What are your proactive measures? What can you do in advance? So when victims come to me, you know, instead of doing full intake of them, we have intake forms and that can be an easier way to, you know, say, you know, if someone comes into my direct messages and says, hey, I want to share with you my story and I need help. I say, okay, I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to help first fill out this intake form so we can keep track and so I can kind of have an overview of what's going on. That's a good proactive measure to kind of protect myself from hearing hundreds of stories um, every day that are very similar to what I've experienced, which can, you know, lead to some uh, empathy fatigue. The second thing was, what is the protective force field that you can, uh, so that you can practice empathy without taking on to, oops. Oop. I'm sorry. That's okay. Paused it. Uh, what is the protective force field that you can practice so that you can practice empathy without taking on that burden? And I will first of all say that I don't think my work in any way is burdenous, so I wouldn't categorize it as that. Uh, however, um, I would say that a protective force field that I could put up is, you know, time management. Saying, okay, I'm not going to answer emails or direct messages from, I don't know, 10 p.m. to 9 a.m., which is outside of the normal normal work schedule for most people, but it's something that I find myself doing frequently as someone who runs their own nonprofit, you kind of uh, blur the lines of, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, hours and time. And then finally, how do you wash it all off, which I really loved. Uh, how do you close the day so it doesn't go home with you? This is hard because I work from home. I frequently work in my bed, you know, sitting in my bed on my laptop. So what I actually did last night, inspired by this webinar, was I moved my desk, which was super heavy and hard to do, from our spare bedroom into my bedroom. So that way I could, you know, have my desk in the space that I most like to be in, but I could work because I have cats in my room. I like to be in my room around my cats, um, but I don't want to just sit in my bed and, you know, make that space a uh, workspace. So I move my desk so that way I can work, but still be in the environment that I like. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I tried to do to wash it off. And uh, those were his, that was his answer. And I thought it was incredibly beautiful and touching and very fully fleshed out. He gave me such a great answer for, you know, having a question on the spot. So I'm interested in hearing what you thought of the webinar. Yes. So I, <clears throat> I, I love the webinar and I thought that, like I, like I mentioned before, I thought it was really valuable to, to hear from the horse's mouth, I guess you could say, um, applied empathy, you know, kind of the, the thought leader of applied empathy. So for me, background on me, I uh, am an engineer, I'm an innovator. And so I'm actually a trained design thinking facilitator. And so what that means for those of you who aren't familiar with design thinking is that it is a solution finding, problem solving method, kind of like a, a formula that you can apply to a variety of problems, not just designing a, a new product or um, creating a new policy, but it, it really can be applied to like every facet of life. And so it has uh, the, the method that I teach 
typically for my K through 12th grade students is uh, five steps. And the first step starts with empathy because uh, in my mind and in design thinking, it doesn't help to solve a problem for someone if you're not listening to the problem in the first place. And if you're not understanding the pain points that the person is going through. And so it was really exciting to hear from obviously someone who values empathy so much that um, not that they scrapped that, that he scrapped the uh, design thinking framework, but that he has his whole company founded on the very first step of design thinking, which is applying empathy and building a company around that. And I think that is something to me, I wish more organizations and more companies and more just people focused on the human connection and human centeredness of, of different problems, right? Just instead of just saying, I'm going to solve this because I think that I think that's what's best, but not actually interviewing someone and understanding the pain points that you may never see based off of your own perspectives and your own experiences. Um, it's, it really is detrimental to a business if you, if you think in the business sense, but it's also just not very helpful to, to building relationships or understanding others. So I really enjoyed, um, I think it was in one of his first 10 slides, I think, where he was like, um, a th empathy, applied empathy is about understanding others. We want to be understood, but we also want to understand. And mm -hmm. so that was one of my key take, key takeaway points. Um, we all just want to be understood and we all just want to be heard. Um, I also really liked the anatomy of understanding dialogue picture that he put up. I might post it after this live so people can see it um, or draw a draft version, a rough draft version from what I remember. But mm -hmm. it's basically there's four parts of understanding, right? So you mean something and then you say something and then the other person hears something and then they understand what you, after it had been filtered through all of those steps. So some conversations, all of those things are equitable. All of those things are the pretty similar. And then in some conversations, they're definitely not. Like there's so many hiccups along the way where conversation can just, um, what you don't say what you mean, they don't hear what you say and they don't understand what they heard. Um, and it's a lot. Um, so that was really, to me, a very simple way to understand active listening and conversation and just the start of empathy is just understanding others. And so if you don't have that kind of method to have a good conversation, how can you do the rest of the steps of applied empathy? So Absolutely. thank you for, no, I was I, just going to say thank you for sharing the, um, the question. I really valued it when you asked and I, I love that you were able to think of such a impactful question that is relevant to you. Um, but also relevant to all of us, like, while we may not have the same experiences as you, and obviously, because you're doing your own thing with the nonprofit, which I also love and admire from all the way here in Kansas. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was a really good, really great question. Um, my next question was going to be, do you remember or do you have been to know your archetypes that he mentioned? And would you mind sharing? Yes. So I... Um when he was going through the archetypes, I, I thought to myself, oh, wow, like, I don't think there's an archetype that describes me because it wasn't until he got to the end that I found one that was, uh, that I felt like reflected who I am. I personally felt like I was a seeker. Um, and I don't fully remember the exact description of the seeker, except that I remember feeling like it, um, 
was relevant to me in the moment. Um, I remember that the seeker is more bold, more risk taking, uh, you know, fearless in a way. And that's kind of who I am. I, I certainly, um, try to act with courage in my day-to-day -day life and I try to um, be unapologetic in who I am and I think that that's similar to who the seeker is. I also saw some um, you know wavelengths of the alchemist and the cultivator about me but I think at its root I'm a seeker. What about you? I, I think for me I was also very similar like he was going through it and I and I could pick like aspects of, of other ones but they didn't quite resonate until he got to the alchemist and as soon as he was like they love failure like they adore it it's how they thrive and i'm like well that's exactly me like i classify classify myself as an expert failure like not in a negative way but i enjoy learning and prototyping and um learning why things fail i think that's part of my my innovative personality why i'm doing the degree i'm, I'm doing in engineering is because I, I like failures because they tell me how I can improve or mm. on a project in life, in relationships, that kind of thing. So I was really excited to, to learn about the alchemist uh, because I'm like, yeah, this actually fits. I feel like, um, you know, Myers-Briggs tests or Enneagrams or, you know, any personality quiz, I feel like there's always, it's kind of there. It's so close to almost being exactly true. I know. Um, <laughs> But it's like not quite something's not quite there. And so I think that's what else I liked about his method is he was like, these are the seven archetypes. But once you're your whole self, you have these seven archetypes and you can kind of put them on like different hats in different situations with different people to understand them better. Um, and so I actually, if you don't mind, I like I said, have the book. And there's a I feel like I'm in a book club. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're in Oprah's book club. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's been a dream. Um, Same. <laughs> there's a, there's a point in there that he mentions, it's really only like a paragraph long. So it's obviously not the intention of the whole book, but it is a reflective exercise that he uh, encourages and it's just called the empathy journal. And so he has um, questions. And if anyone wants to uh, get the book, I've pinned a comment, full transparency, my mom has an Amazon affiliate link, so she's gonna make like 20 cents if you buy the book through her link. Um, gotta, gotta announce that. Um, but the in the book, there's questions. There's seven questions for each of the seven archetypes. So 49 questions total. And uh, they go through, the questions are based around the whole self, um, starting at physical, going all the way up to aspirational self. And the empathy journal, you rank your archetypes from the one you most relate to. So seeker for you, uh, alchemist for me. And then we rank it all the way down to the least relatable. So I haven't even thought about what my least relatable one is. I'd have to do more research. But then the first day, which we kind of did last night, um, we just define empathy, what we think empathy is and what it means to us. And then day two, we pick the first question on the list for our number one archetype and answer the question. So. For example, um, the alchemist, it starts with the aspirational self and it says, what motivates you to progress? And so you, you journal about that. That's, it doesn't have to be lengthy. I'm not very good at journaling. I, it's something I'm working on. I like reflecting, but I don't like writing. Um, so this would be a 50 day process where you just go through and you answer 49 questions um, to learn more about your whole self and connect to the applied empathy in your life. And so. I really enjoy that activity and I think I'm going to try it over the next 
50 days. Um, but I, I think it could be really valuable, I, especially for you and I who advocate on the behalf of others and who sometimes experience empathy fatigue and who, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I, I feel a lot, not only for like my emotions and like my roommate's emotions, but also just like society's emotions. Sometimes it can be really heavy. And mm-hmm. so I I think it's, I'm so excited that we had this uh, professional development workshop about applied empathy, especially after a relatively strenuous year and week, two weeks of the new year. Um, I think it can be super valuable and it's a refresher to me to say, hey, you can be empathetic, but you also have to take care of yourself in how you're being empathetic. So right. that was pretty, pretty mind opening, mind blowing, eye opening, whatever that phrase is. Yeah, I, I would actually love to know what your original definition, if you remember, of empathy was. Uh, for those who don't know, Michael asked us at the very beginning to write down our definition of empathy. And some folks shared it, some folks didn't. And I shared mine in the chat, but I didn't say it aloud. And I think it would be interesting to see the nuances in which we both perceive empathy. Yeah, I, I have my journal here that I, I took down notes last night. And um, mine is viewed through the lens earlier yesterday, I had actually been thinking about empathy gearing up for for the, the seminar. And so one of my favorite quotes about empathy is from Dr. Brene Brown, where mm-hmm. um, she says, empathy is understanding the emotions one goes through, not just the event or circumstance. And I, there's a video of, uh, there's an animated video of one of the speeches she's given where it talks about empathy. And I saw that for the first time, I think my sophomore year of college. And I was like, oh my goodness, sympathy and empathy are different. Like (laughs) there was like a moment for me um, that I just, I was, you learn new things. Like there's a a fact that like every day, 10,000 people in the world learn something that everyone else thought was common knowledge. Like that was definitely my moment of learning common knowledge, like that there's a difference and that empathy can be practiced and that it's more than sympathy. So that my my definition uh, is basically her quote because it is something that has stuck with me for so long, um, just connecting to the emotions of others. What was that's yours? Well, that's beautiful, and I, I completely agree. That's, that's kind of what I thought empathy to be as well. My personal definition was to share in your mutual not aloneness in spite of not knowing or understanding someone's circumstances. And to me, I I felt that way because um, I feel like empathy can be practiced without um, language being expressed or exchanged. You can practice empathy with someone simply by sitting with them and both sharing in mutual not aloneness and identifying that you're both living breathing humans sharing this space you're neither of you are alone and um, no matter what you're both going through you share in that um, occupied sense of emotions and I think that that's a really beautiful thing and that's something that I try to apply to you know moments that 
I am helping others, whether that be a victim who comes to me and says, you know, I'm going through this experience. Will you hop on a Zoom or a FaceTime with me? And I can, you know, sit there with them and share that space. And I think that that's an act of empathy in itself. Even if I'm not saying, you know, I understand what you're going through. It's just living and sharing that space, sharing that that moment, that open air, that dialogue um, is an act of empathy within itself. And so that was mine. And I also wanted to touch on uh, back to the archetypes for a second, because you said something that really made me remember a thought that I had had yesterday. And that was that I do think that a little bit of the alchemist archetype certainly exists in me. And, and I remember thinking when Michael expressed that the alchemist um, isn't afraid of failure. They think that failure is an opportunity to learn something new. And he, he said that Albert Einstein quote, I believe, like I didn't, you know, fail at making the light bulb 500 times. I learned 500 ways to not make a light bulb. It instantly made me think of my experience in the Miss Connecticut organization and my experience going forward as a first time competitor in uh, Miss Connecticut. And I instantly felt like a strange sense of calm pass over me at the thought of failing. And I thought to myself, you know, I certainly, I certainly want this job. I'm sure you certainly want the job of Miss Kansas, but I feel so secure and calm within myself that to fail at that attempt would also be a step on my path forward. And it wouldn't be a negative or a step back. It would be still a step forward. And so I definitely saw that. And I was wondering if you kind of applied that, uh, that non-fear of failure or that embrace, embracing of failure to your experience in the Miss Kansas organization. That is, that is such a good question on archetypes. I would not be surprised if Inquirer is up there on yours as well. Cause you just like, every time I hear you ask a question, it's like the question, you know, like the one that like, like you can ask surface level questions and you can ask like bottom of the barrel questions that are super important. And I feel like you're, you're that kind of person. So thank you for asking that. I, to be completely candid, it's been something I've been struggling with. Um, I think, that while I appreciate, like, obviously I love failure in a way that I know it helps me grow. And I know that it is only a benefit. Sometimes it hurts, but it mm. is only a benefit in the end. Um, in regards to my Miss Kansas journey, it's been something that I have gone, you know, I've really, like I said, I hate journaling, but I've started journaling because I, I, recognize that it's a good way for me to be reflective even when I'm struggling to to think about the actions I take the decisions I make the words I say and who I speak to finding a way to catalog all of that so behind behind the scenes I do struggle with anxiety and depression and so that's something that I've I've struggled with since high school probably junior year of high school and so been a long time since then um but it I've I've learned to work with it in some areas so I'm able to well I I wouldn't classify um, my mental health struggle as a failure I would classify it as a learning opportunity each each and every morning right learning to get out of bed and brush your teeth and do your hair and talk to people and leave the house not in a <laughs> pandemic. Um, but those are all learning opportunities. So I wouldn't classify them as failure, but it's the same kind of mindset of failures aren't negative. They're learning opportunities. 
So bring that back around to Miss Kansas. I, I really struggle sometimes, um, not in the, maybe in the comparison mindset of, of seeing others and seeing their successes. No one hardly ever speaks about their failures. So even though I love my own failures and I know I learn from them, it can be really hard when I feel like I'm the only one failing and going through learning experiences. Um, when I know that's not the case, like my, my logic kicks in and I'm like, you're not alone. Like you had mentioned being in not aloneness together. Um, I think that's something that's lacking in my life currently in regards to Miss Kansas is understanding others are also going through it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that went a lot deeper than I was expecting to, but I think it's really, I don't know, it's something I've been struggling with. So thanks yeah. for asking the question. Of course, you know, I didn't mean to uh, go into some psychoanalysis, but I do think what you pointed out is so important in that and I'm sure that Michael would agree with us in that not being afraid of failure does not mean the absence of hurt. As folks who deal with anxiety and depression like we both do, you know, there's always going to be that element of hurt. And I think even with folks who don't deal with mental illness, the element of disappointment when something doesn't go your way. I don't think, you know, being afraid of failure or being um, okay with failure means that that disappointment doesn't exist. I just think it means that the larger sense within us is to press forward in spite of that failure. And uh, that is something that I see in myself. That's totally something that I see in you. And regarding um, folks who don't share publicly their failures, that's something that I am, excuse me, actively trying to do more. And I invite you to do that with me. Um, I frequently share, you know, on social media, the times when I was, you know, I felt like I was failing when my mental health was so bad that, you know, I, I wrote about, you know, being on the side of the, of the road in the freezing cold, you know, because I was in a depressive episode and things like that. And those certainly I wouldn't define as failures. Those were obviously traumatic episodes, but moments where I personally felt like my mental health had failed actually was still a step forward. Um, I don't believe that there are any steps back. You know, even a step in a more negative direction is a step towards a larger goal. So I, I think that that's really important to differentiate. Um, but I, I really, I really enjoy uh, your perspective on it. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I am so glad and so grateful that you um, for everyone watching at home, I actually just messaged Leah in the middle of the webinar because something I don't know, I can't explain it. I was just like, I'm going to mess message Leah and see if they want to do a live debrief of this. Like I, it was one of those thoughts that, um, are intrusive in the best way. Like, you know, it's not yours. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, that kind of, kind of thing. And so I, I really did message you right as I thought of it, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was like, worst, worst they can say is no, like, yeah, <laughs> it's an episode. It's an example of like, it's okay if, if I fail, right? Like even that's something that I talk to my students a lot about is the worst that someone can say is no, or the worst that can happen is that you fail. Like, that's okay. It's not, it's not the end of the world. The world is not going to end if you take a misstep or if you learn something new, if you have a growth opportunity, right? Like it's going to be okay. And so I really did just message you out in the blue. And I'm so grateful. Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm so glad that we've been able to connect because I've been admiring you from afar in the work that you do and 
like the things that you've accomplished. And so um, we can kind of kind of frame the, the pandemic and the, the work at home life and the connectedness, the countrywide connectedness that we've been able to experience as a growth opportunity, like reframing that mindset um, to say, yeah, it sucks. I'm at home all the time. Fortunately, I'm an introvert. It doesn't bother me as much. Um, my roommate got a puppy out of this, so it's super <laughs> extra good. Um, but the, I think the opportunity to be able to connect, like even two years ago when I restarted competing in the, in the competition, uh, the Miss America competition in my state, Miss Kansas, I would have never imagined being able to connect with someone from Connecticut and talk about our experiences, not only as Miss America in, in the Miss America organization, but also about empathy and about what we do as advocates. Like I'm so, I'm jazzed. Like I don't have another word for it. I'm just completely (laughs) jazzed about it. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm so glad that you reached out to me because I've been wanting to connect with you uh, further than we have already connected, you know, mutual positive comments and things like that. I wanted to have a discussion with you for so long. And I was so excited when you reached out to me. If you had, I probably would have. Um, But regarding our our work, I I mean, I, this is my first year since 2013 competing. Um, And so it's, it's really a brand new experience. And a lot of folks say to me, you know, are you upset that like, you haven't gotten to really enjoy your year? And I'm like, what do you mean? This has been the best year ever like just because I've been able to make the most out of it and connect with folks across the country, the amount of live, you know, Instagram lives that I've had where I've explored new topics, you know, um, like things regarding, um, biochemistry with, uh, miss, uh, miss, uh, I believe grace miss, or is her title miss Milwaukee? She's in Wisconsin. Miss um, Madison, I think Ms. Madison. Yes, yes, yes. So many wonderful different subjects that I never would have thought to explore on my own. I have, you know, a, a, an expert on my social media page who I can call upon and say, would you like to have this conversation with me? And chances are they would like to have that conversation because we're all stuck at home. So I certainly don't want to minimize the fact that so many folks are suffering right now. I myself lost my day job due to COVID and, you know, was struggling financially for a long time. Um, so I don't want to minimize that. I, you know, I know folks who've had COVID and who have been sick and it's, it's been horrible, but um, in my own personal ability to you know face that truth head on i have seen that i am fortunate to have had you know opportunities blossom out of such a dark time i love that i love that mindset it um again is an example of, of reframing like what you go through and what you experience they're not they're not failures they're growth opportunities and um it's very hard to see it when you're in it uh just speaking right. from experience when when you're going through that time, uh, for me, I throw back to the webinar last night, Mallory, um, the host and Miss America 2013. Um, she asked us all as the icebreaker, you know, what's the emotional weather like? And I had mentioned that it had been gray and now it's partly cloudy, but it's still kind of gray, but there's silver linings, right? Like being able to reframe the mindset and when you go through it, it does seem really gray, but it will be okay. I didn't mean to rhyme there, but it will be okay in the future. Like just having the understanding, the logic of faith, whatever you want to call it, that you've been through your worst days in life. Like mm-hmm. when it 
when it seems like the worst day ever, you've moved, you've moved past it and you've had better days since then. I'm hope and pray like, and you've gotten through those too. Like even when they seem boring and dull, you've made it past those days. And so I think that that's something that I tell myself, you've lived through your worst day. Um, and I think that is a good mindset to take, especially when talking to others and especially in, in a role like you have where you're talking to others who are going through things that definitely probably feel like their worst day or multiple days, you know, and understanding that I think is part to the, of the applied empathy process. Absolutely. And I also tell people all the time, you know, you've survived every day that you thought that you wouldn't. And that in itself is a miraculous existence. And I think it's so important that we thank our bodies. We thank ourselves for, you know, staying alive, sorry, for staying alive in spite of a world that thought that we wouldn't, in spite of a body that didn't want to all the time, thank ourselves and actively practice both self-care, but also self-appreciation. I think that that's so important. And um, something that you said uh, regarding the emotional weather, oh, I wanted to touch on that again. Uh, when Mallory asked us that question, what is the emotional weather where you are? I was like, wow, I've never been asked that question. I've never been asked as an icebreaker for a webinar, you know, how are you feeling? How are you reacting to the current climate? And that's something that I think that I'm always going to ask folks in every conversation I have from here on out, because not only is that an important conversation starter, it feels so good to be seen. It feels so good to be asked, you know, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And to be given the space to say, I'm not actually holding up. I am having a gray day type of thing. Um, I think that that's so important in the journey to destigmatize and normalize mental health conversations and uh, attitudes around emotions. Absolutely. I, I'll be honest, I almost asked you that as the opening question this morning. And I regret not asking you. So if I may ask now, I'll wait until you're done drinking your coffee. <laughs> How is your emotional weather today? My emotional weather today is, uh, I, I would say it's partly cloudy, but mostly I see that sun peeking through. I will say that I'm very excited about the progress that my nonprofit has made. Uh, we just had our last interview last night for our board of directors, and we will now have 11 members from around the country of our board for the first time. And I founded this organization almost five years ago as a staff member of one for years. So it's super exciting, and I definitely see the rays of sun, the rays of hope that we'll finally be able to accomplish so much more and meet those big end game goals that we've been wanting to accomplish because we have folks who are on board and who are ready to um, make this happen. I'm really excited about that. Um, mentally, you know, I am feeling a, a little bit sad. Uh, it's almost my birthday. My birthday's in 15 days. And just knowing that, you know, I won't get to see, you know, my dad inside the house. I haven't gotten to see him inside the house since March because he has a lung condition. Um, I won't get to see my sister, who I love dearly. I likely won't get to see my partner um, until she moves out of the house with her parents, out of the house from her parents, um, because, you know, we're all at risk. And it's it's hard. But at the same time, I have to take a step back and say, you know, this is something that everyone is experiencing. This is a mutual human. Um, this is a mutual human experience. So 
I can sit in that mutual not aloneness and practice empathy in knowing that I am not alone in this situation. Okay, I didn't get to spend my birthday with my friends and family, but you know what? You know, no one does, and that's okay because I am alive. Uh, so I'm having empathy for myself in allowing myself to feel those emotions, allowing myself to feel this the disappointment but also be the alchemist and say i'm not afraid of that disappointment that was a full circle <laughs> no i love it it was it was there's a lot of things i want to touch on so first happy early birthday thank um, you i hope it is i hope it's wonderful well maybe not what you would prefer but i hope it's still absolutely wonderful i think i think, I think my partner and i are going to make homemade sushi at my house winning yeah. Absolutely. That sounds delicious. I love sushi. I order it uh, probably once a week. I live down the I street order from a sushi week. restaurant. <laughs> no such thing. It's healthy for you, right? Like omega-3s right. and, and good carbs, all of that. It's healthy. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I really value that you are not, per, like, not, what's the word? Um, disallowing. That's not the word I'm looking for, but not preventing yourself from experiencing human emotions, because that's always incredibly detrimental. So I'm so glad that you are uh, allowing yourself in a way to feel disappointment because you, sh you should, it's, it's okay. And if preventing it, that's only going to cause potentially greater problems down the road. And so I'm, that has taken me a long time to learn that action just there of allowing yourself to feel sad, allowing yourself to feel hurt, allowing yourself to feel angry. Some of those emotions that are seen as negative are still so important to development and empathy and understanding like being able to sit in that and reflect why you're feeling that way is critical and if you're not allowing yourself to feel that way you can't reflect and you can't learn um Absolutely. so i'm so glad that you're incredibly um emotionally mature and i can feel that through the phone and i incredibly it's it's so valuable um a skill to be able to do that and express it to others. So I, can I say that I'm proud of you? Am I allowed to say that? I oh, am proud of you. Thank you. I accept, I accept, <laughs> you know, being proud of myself. I am proud of you. There's so much pride happening on this conversation. I love it. It's a, it's been a great conversation so far. One, one more point. Well, maybe two more points that I want to mention. Um, I'm sorry about not being able to see your dad. I also um, am not able to see my dad. I haven't seen him. I don't know how many months now he is a cancer survivor. And so he's mm. at risk as well um, and has lung problems. So I've noticed a lot of, of synchronicity within our lives that I kind of want to touch on. If you don't mind, um, you said that you competed as a teen in 2013. Um, my first ever year competing was as a teen in 2013. Um, right back here, Miss Frontier's Outstanding Teen. Um, and then I also took some time off and came back to compete. So um, can you tell all of all of the five people that are on our call at the moment kind of your experience within the Miss America organization and what applying empathy in your role as a title holder looks like and has looked like over time? Absolutely. So I first started competing. Well, I competed for one year and I believe it was actually 2012, but the state competition was in 2013. And I did so because in my small conservative town, um, I guess you could call it pageantry at the time, um, was a way to gain both popularity and self-empowerment. And I wanted so badly to have both of those things because I was someone who um, was 
very much slut shamed in my day-to-day life in both middle school and high school. Um, I was treated poorly by my peers simply because of being a more sex positive person. Um, And so I wanted the opportunity to represent my community and perhaps be more well-liked. It didn't really work out. Um, While I I did love and enjoy my experience as Miss Greater Waterbury's outstanding teen, uh, I went to Miss Connecticut. I actually came out as gay for the first time in my interview at Miss Connecticut, which was lovely. And I experienced so much positive reinforcement from the judges. And I really wanted to go on and compete for another year because I, I did experience so much positive reinforcement. And I was uh, I had the platform of anti-LGBTQ discrimination. And I didn't see anyone else talking about that. You still rarely see people talking about that within the organization. Um, But that same year, nude pictures of me were posted on the internet um, without my consent. Obviously, I was a child. um, And I stayed silent about it. I thought, you know, if I say something, I will get kicked out of this organization. I will get shamed. The moms on those chat message boards who say mean things about folks who aren't their child will come after me and I will be kicked out of the organization. If I ever got to have the title of Miss Connecticut's Outstanding Teen, they will try to take me down with this information. So I can't. So I left the organization. I only competed for one year and I never thought I'd compete again. Even when I was a teen, I never thought that I would be a Miss contestant because I never thought I would be comfortable on stage in a bathing suit. I had an eating disorder. I never thought that, you know, I would look the part or be the part. Uh, So, um, I ended up, you know, at 19, founding a nonprofit, which fights against what happened to me, nude uh, photos being leaked online, aka revenge porn or image abuse. And uh, I have an or I founded an organization which hosts protest marches around the country, which advocates for victims, helps victims get their photos taken down, goes on national and international television to talk about this issue and now we have a legal defense fund we have a podcast so it's a really uh well-rounded organization and it's the type of organization that had i encountered it when i was a young teen it would have saved my life i was suicidal i i you know i didn't want to to live and so i made myself small because i thought that that's what other people wanted anyway uh this about in February 2020, so almost a year ago, I was on Facebook and I saw an advertisement for the Miss Greater Rockville competition. And something inside of me said, you have to do it. Like that moment when you said you have to message me, that's what I felt. I felt this has to be done. And I personally am not a religious person. I didn't believe it was some calling from God, but I did believe that it was the perfect full circle moment. As someone who left the organization because of shame and, you know, um, and emotional distress, now coming back as a more fully fleshed out person, as a person who's conquered that shame, as someone who's reclaimed that shame, I can now come back and help others who've gone through it. But it wasn't an easy process because I'm non-binary and there are not very many non-binary people in this organization. It's an organization that was founded for women. So I had to jump through a lot of hoops to ask, you know, the Miss Connecticut organization board of directors and the Miss America board of directors if I would be allowed to compete as non-binary. I wanted to check off all the boxes. So if I ever were so lucky as to go on stage at Miss America, I would be approved to do so in my full identity. I didn't want to hide anything. Um, I also have 
over 45 tattoos. So I don't look like your typical Miss America candidate. And uh, finally, I, you know, I am a fat I'm a fat person. I identify as, you know, plus size. I, you know, am mentally ill. I have, you know, depression, OCD, PTSD, and anxiety. And I'm very public about all of these things. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is going to work out. Um, but it did. And I was allowed to compete. And I ended up winning the first uh, competition that I competed in since returning, which was a beautiful full circle moment. And now I've got to spend the better, uh, you know, the better half of a year um, talking about issues that matter to me on platforms like this with folks like you. And it's been phenomenal. And now the Miss Connecticut competition is April 9th through 11th at Mohegan Sun. And I will get to uh, witness almost 15 other individuals bringing their unique personalities, their important issues that matter to them to the stage and get to do that myself. And I think please forgive me for being long-winded. I, I think that's the reason that I'm not afraid of failure because I have already won. I have taken back the voice that was stolen from my younger self. I have shown up on the stage that I didn't think I belonged in. I have broken out of the boxes that have previously contained me. And in doing so, I have metaphorically put a crown on my head whether or not there really is one there. So I'm proud of myself. Um, and that is kind of my journey. It's a long journey, of course, but uh, I hope that the journey um, continues with me being able to be, uh, get the job of Miss Connecticut. I hope that it continues with me being able to be on stage at Miss America talking about the crime of revenge porn and advocating for it to be a federal crime because no one has ever done so and no non-binary person has ever been on stage at Miss America. So I think that that is critical for representation. It's critical for my own um, journey, but it's more so critical for folks like me who will see themselves in me because I truly believe that you can't be who you can't see. I love that you said that last line that I, I, it was thinking in my, in my head as you were saying it, like you are the embodiment of Sally Ride's quote, you can't be what you can't see. And so I love that little synchronicity in our conversation too, because I, I had goosebumps the whole time you were talking and I am so proud of you. Um, I'm I proud think, of you. <laughs> thank you. I think that I want, I do want to ask you, you said, you know, I've, I've already won, which is an incredible mindset to have an incredible victory to claim in your life. I think that's so important. And so I actually do want to ask, um, there may be someone on here watching who's never competed in Miss America before. Um, who is very curious about maybe maybe pursuing the job of a local or a state or the national title. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about your mindset of how you've kind of gotten into that space? Because in my experience, um, you know, the, the Miss Kansases I've met and the ones that I've been able to talk to and learn from, all of them have the, it's okay if I fail because I am myself. And if they don't like me as myself, I'm going to be okay. Um, yeah. So I was just going to ask if, if that was kind of your mindset going into Miss Greater Rockville, what what you did to get there. Obviously, um, your whole life has led you to that moment, but could you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, I definitely share in that sentiment that, you know, I will be okay whether or not I win or lose because I, you know, am who I am. And if they don't choose me, um, there's nothing more I could have done. And I, I do share in that sentiment. But I also think um, 
I, I also think something that I mentioned in my spot fund campaign video, which I posted a few weeks ago, raising money for the Miss America Foundation, that when I first competed as a teen, I was looking for the Miss America organization to empower me. I was looking for that organization to give me um, credibility, to give me acceptance, and to give me support. I no longer need those things because I create those things in my own life. I, through my work, through my education, through my advocacy, I create credibility. Through the folks that I've, you know, created in my life, my support, my team, my family, I create support. And I don't need empowerment from an organization. I create that in my own. I empower myself every day by getting out of bed and surviving. And some days it's not easy. Some days I don't get out of bed. But even on those days, I know that those are moments of rest and I deserve those moments of rest because I've spent the past five years of my life advocating for a cause that means so much to me. Um, so I guess my mindset would be go into this not needing anything from the organization. Go into it wanting to give to the organization, but know that you will still have the same empowerment within yourself, whether you win or lose. Don't look for it within someone else. You need to come already having and garnering that empowerment. That's the only way that you can walk away from any competition um, without feeling you know, like you failed because nothing got taken away from you. Um, you only brought something and if it wasn't accepted, you still get to keep that. And I think that that's really important um, to remember that even when something that you offer isn't accepted, it's still something that you get to hold within yourself. Um, and eventually I'm sure you'll get to find other ways to share it to the world um, that may be better suited for you at that time. So, so profound. I so value this conversation and I so value you and, and the experiences that you're open and willing to to share with not only me, but everyone on the internet all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's so important being open um, and being willing to share your story because um, one of, I recently uh, found out that my high school teacher had passed away due to COVID. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been reflecting on is something that she said like it's okay to ask dumb questions because someone else has the same dumb question and it will get answered so it's not dumb um, sure. and I think that same kind of framework can feed into it's okay to share your story it's okay to share your struggles because someone else is going through it too kind of like what what we've touched on that empathy is being with someone in not aloneness I really love that definition of yours and so that's been something kind of just on my mind recently. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad we've been able to have this conversation. There are a handful of people on, on. So if anyone has any questions, I forgot to mention it in the beginning, but if anyone would like to ask any questions or throw in any comments, if you attended the um, Applied Empathy webinar last night, I'd love to hear anyone, anyone else's perspectives um, just with empathy, maybe as a, as a title holder, what that looks like in their life as an advocate, as a human, <laughs> what that means. So um, feel free to share in the comments, but I'm so glad that we've been able to talk. Like I said, it's been something that I've really wanted to do. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful for you. 
Oh, I'm grateful for you too, Sierra. And I'm grateful to you for extending this platform to me. I'm also grateful to the Miss America organization, to Mallory Hagen, and to all those who worked to put together this Applied Empathy webinar as part of the Miss America Professional Development Series. I mean, you know, what an awesome resource. That's something that I would love to bring to my organization and we get it for free. Um, so how lucky are we that just by, you know, existing in our communities and by advocating, we also get these wonderful resources from such a historic organization. So thank you uh, to the Miss America organization as well. Yes, absolutely. And if there's anyone on the call who um, is interested in learning more about what we've been talking about, not only the Miss America organization, but this professional development series, they do have them open to the public. So they're not just for title holders to take advantage of. So please DM either Leah or me. Um, whenever the next one comes up, we'd be happy to tell you and invite you to join and learn from learn with us, um, whatever the next one may be. Yes, everyone is welcome. So we would love to see you there. Yes. So any, um, I would, I would like to extend this moment to say, how can people follow your journey? You sure. Know? So you can follow me on social media at Leah Juliet, L-E-A-H-J-U-L-I-E-T-T -T is my personal Instagram and Miss Greater Rockville is my, um, title holder Instagram, and that's spelled exactly as it sounds. Uh, you can also view my website, leahjuliet.com, uh, to, you know, potentially book me to come speak at your organization or to just see some of the work that I've done. I have videos, speeches, things like that there. Or you can visit marchagainstrevengeporn.org, which uh, has tons of resources. You can apply for a legal defense fund grant if you're living through a revenge porn victimization experience. And you can also figure out how to become an ambassador and an advocate in your own life. So definitely recommend you do that. And how can folks follow you, Sierra? Well, I am here on this page at Sierra Murray Bond. It's my full name. Um, so it's pretty easy to find at Sierra, like the mountain range or the truck or the soda pop or the <laughs> insert insert thing there. Um, and so I, I post mainly on Instagram because uh, it gives me a chance to, I believe in social media to be someplace that you can share your failures and it shouldn't be a highlight reel. And so that's what I'm trying to be cognizant of and do more often. Um, so my Instagram is kind of my my main platform, but through it, you can also access my my Facebook page, which is Sierra Marie Bond Miss Southwest. And I have my own website, sierrabond.com and a website for my social impact initiative called Let's Go Full Steam Ahead, where I promote STEAM education and engagement to empower the next generation of innovators. So all of that can be found in my, my link in my bio on here on Instagram. Um, and you had mentioned Miss Connecticut, the uh, competition will be held in April, I believe. Can you tell everyone yes. how they can watch or, you? Wait, before there? I say that, before I say that, I want to implore everyone to go on YouTube and go to Sierra's YouTube page and watch her full steam ahead gala because it's phenomenal. So many informative videos. So please do that if you, you know, have a little chunk of time that you want to learn and educate yourself on some, you know, steam topics. Miss Connecticut will be held uh, April 9th through 11th at Mohegan Sun. Uh, tickets go on sale February 1st, and also it will be live streamed. So no matter where you are in the country, you can watch it. So really excited about that. And uh, yeah, I, when is Miss Kansas? Have they announced the date? Yes. So um, due to due to COVID, um, we've had like four different dates, um, but now it is officially solidified, and I am 
so hopeful that it won't change again. Um, it is held again in uh, its historic time, so the, the first full week of June in Pratt, Kansas. And so it'll be the, we go up on, I think the 5th of June competition officially starts, I wanna say the 12th, 13th, and then finals is the 15th. Um, unofficial, but I'm pretty sure finals. The no. whole week. <laughs> it's maybe it's the 12th finals is the 12th I don't know I haven't looked at my calendar in a while time is a construct you have time, you have time. <laughs> but it will also be live streamed so I'm I'm so grateful that organizations have been able to um, adapt so quickly to to this new reality that we're living in because I've always wanted to be able to like travel to uh, other states to be able to cheer on other title holders and watch whoever wins get crowned um, but I'm a poor college student, so that hasn't right. necessarily been feasible in, in the future. So I'm just so grateful that the Miss America organization is really leveraging technology in this way. And, and like the webinar, being able to give us free personal develop, personal and professional development resources and allowing us to connect. So I'm just, this year, it could have been a lot bad, a lot, a lot bad, a lot worse, um, I think. But I'm so grateful that you and I and the Miss America organization have been able to reframe our mindsets to say, how can we take advantage of this situation in the best way? And how can we benefit others and empower others? Um, so thank you so much for joining me. We are like two seconds out of time or two minutes out of time. Yes, but and I believe we have another webinar to get to, the Women in Television webinar hosted by the Miss America Foundation. I think that starts at 11, right? It does. It starts very soon. So I'm well, any final thoughts there. that you'd like to share before we before we end? No, just thank you so much, Sierra, for extending this platform to me. I urge everyone to follow the work that Sierra is doing. It is phenomenal and has truly enlightened me on STEM. I'm sorry, STEAM. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see your journey to Miss Kansas and also just your journey as a human. I'm really excited to be um, in your cheering squad. So thank you. Same to you. I'm so excited to, to admire you from afar. So I will see you in the next webinar. And thank you, everyone, for watching. And go follow Leah. <clears throat> go follow Leah and check out what they're up to because I absolutely, it's, it's amazing the impact that they've been able to make over these last five years. And even just this last year, go follow them. It's, it's phenomenal work. So thank you. Have a great day. You too. I hope you enjoyed the coffee and conversation on this episode of the let's go full steam ahead podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about Leah and their story, be sure to follow them on Instagram at miss greater Rockville and at Leah Juliet. I'm sure you will learn so much from their journey, and I hope you tune in to see all of the wonderful things they have planned for the upcoming year. If you'd like to learn more about Let's Go Full Steam Ahead, be sure to connect with us at Let's Go Full Steam Ahead. .com.